Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Lauren Gabe here. Happy Pride Month. It's June 21st and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns and this week it's Gabe's turn to choose the topics. For a discussion of all things queer, he chose movie musicals out this year. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking a bit about Wimbledon. And for our topic at the intersection of sports and queer, we will talk about Mexican soccer fans and the Secretary of Education's recent announcement that Title IX protects LGBTQ plus students. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club Stonewall Kickball. First, an update on Team DC. Tonight, June 21st, Team DC is hosting the quarterly sports council meeting. All member clubs are highly encouraged to send a representative to attend these meetings. The meeting will be held on Zoom, so please email laura at teamdc.org if you need any more information. Our next night out event will be at the Washington Mystics on June 29th. Tickets are on sale now at mystics.wnba.com pride. Enjoy a great night of Mystics basketball as the team takes on the Connecticut Sun at Entertainment Sports Arena on June 29th at 7 p.m. There will be Pride-themed in-game promotions and activities. The Mystics will also wear their Nike Rebel Edition uniforms, which seeks to echo the historic moments for gender, racial, and LGBTQ equality voiced through our nation's capital. On July 10th, we will be celebrating Pride Night Out with Old Glory Rugby. Team DC member clubs, the Washington Renegades and DC Furies, will be playing exhibition curtain-raising matches before the start of the game, and DC different drummers, Drumline, will be providing entertainment. Team DC is selling tickets that offer a 25% discount from regular box office prices. The link can be found on Team DC's Facebook page or contact Matt at teamdc.org for more information. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Abe and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us out. And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe to Under the Bleachers for all of the latest news at the Intersection Now, here's Gabe with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, so for my queer topic this week, we're halfway through 2021 and still in the middle of a global pandemic, but movie theaters are slowly starting to open up. Logo released a list of their top 12 movie musicals that will be released sometime this year. Sadly, Cats 2, the musical, did not make the cut. Number one, number one on their list is, of course, Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, starring Anthony Ramos, which is out now on HBO Max and in theaters. Adam Driver stars in an original musical called Annette, which should be out sometime this fall. 
and I personally have been waiting for months for the film version of the West End's hit. Everybody's talking about Jamie, which is based on the true story of a Sheffield teen who wants to become a drag queen after high school graduation. If you haven't heard of it, type it in YouTube now. Social media was buzzing when the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen was released, which stars Ben Platt in the role he originated on stage. Steven Spielberg is releasing a new version of West Side Story, which will hopefully bring back dance battles instead of street brawls. And Camilla Cabello will star in Cinderella, which sadly will not be set in Havana. Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. Peter Dinklage will star in Cyrano. And Apple Plus will release a specially recorded version of Come From Away, which is a show about passengers on a plane that gets grounded in a small town in Canada on 9-11. Netflix will also release a recorded version of Diana, which is a game changer because the musical hasn't even opened on Broadway yet. There will also be a sequel to the movie Sing, which was released this year, and all these movies will, be, will hopefully be released by the end of the year. So I don't know about you, Laura, but I'm excited about more movie musicals and to one day horribly sing these songs at show tunes on a Monday night. So Laura, which uh, musicals have you heard of and which ones are you excited to see, if any? Well, I've heard of all the musicals because I'm obsessed with musicals. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty excited about a bunch of them. So Peter Dinklage, I'm pretty confident, was in the Broadway version of Cyrano yep. recently. And I didn't get to see it. And that kind of bummed me out. So I'm definitely excited about that. Like, I'm pretty excited about anything Peter Dinklage does because I think he's an incredible actor. Um I'm less excited about Cinderella because I don't really care about that story being remade for the <laughs> again, and again, again. I just I don't care, and I don't know who Leo is. I will say I think you. What? I mean, I kind of like I know the name. I don't know, but I gotta say you did not commit to your Havana Onana, and if you're gonna add shit like that <laughs> to your descriptions, you really gotta commit better. I'll commit. All right. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have not seen In the Heights yet, which shocks me because normally this feels like something I would have done the day that it was available. Um, but I've just been really busy and now I'm traveling. And um, so I'm going to definitely watch that one as soon as I get home in a couple of days. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about, about all of these, except for probably won't watch Cinderella. Never saw the Sing Part 1, so probably won't watch Sing Part 2. Um but yeah, what about you? Which ones are you uh, waiting to see? Uh, I mean, I've been waiting for a year to see Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Um, I saw it. Uh, actually, I saw a filmed version of it in Gallery Place a couple of years ago, uh, oh. which is great. They, yeah, they, you know what they do? Like the show you like a recording of a, of a play or something. On, yeah. Like, uh, you know, yes. The, Everyone knows because Disney Plus put out Hamilton. Yes. Okay. So I had heard about it from my drag father. Ish, now mother i don't know anyway so we all went to go see it and then i got to see um i got to see the stage performance last year no, two years ago in london and it is amazing it's a really cute story uh, about a kid who you know um grows up and wants to be a drag queen uh when i saw it, bianca del rio was in it michelle visage was in it before they're trying what i'm thinking is they're trying to get a bunch of americans to learn the parts so that they can <laughs> do it on broadway or off broadway yeah. somewhere um because it's all in this crazy accent because it's like set in sheffield in england so it's kind of like a very unique accent yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i can't wait for it i'm super excited um so just a quick interjection you do know that british people are allowed to act on broadway yes okay <laughs> yes. but it's too i mean it's 
it's touring all over it's touring all over the the uk right now and it's been yeah. on the west end for years so i don't know if like some of the stars might come over one of them was just in uh cruella and so now they're doing movies and they're doing big stuff so i don't know if they're they're, they're too big for broadway maybe ah, how dare you <laughs> how we'll dare you um, what do you think about did you see the trailer for dear evan hansen i did I feel a little skeptical that it's going to translate well to a movie, but well, I haven't seen it. And everybody's okay. like, you know, this is, everybody who's like in DC is like, oh, I saw it at Arena Stage. Oh, I saw it when I'm like, okay, I haven't seen oh, it yet. Oh, bragging about seeing it pre Broadway. That's so <laughs> DC. Um, so DC. It, yeah, I saw it on Broadway and then I also saw it like in the traveling version after Broadway that came to DC at. I don't remember. It was either at National Theater or the Kennedy Center. And well, I performed on the Kennedy Center stage. Oh, yes. I, I forgot. Would you like to tell your adoring fans about your Kennedy Center debut? <laughs> well, you know, um, there's there's this thing called the Kennedy Center. And we were, we were asked as part of the wig party to perform on stage at the Kennedy Center. So I Oh, my God. This is directions. exhausting. <laughs> Are you going to be nominated for anything for this? Hopefully. <laughs> I will say I watched some of it online and they had you in the back far too much because you really were shaking that dress like it was nobody's business and they needed to have you a little more front and center. Exactly. My sister, Honey Rider, um, she shook a little too hard and her boobs fell through her dress. That's okay. Honestly, the thing that struck me the most about at least the part that I saw online was Javi's hair. Uh, Juana's hair was... (laughs) Uh, to the sky like yes. I was just like she's praying with that hair it is it's a lot it was also um, 95 degrees and we were all like melted by the time we got backstage I am sure um, but it was fun yeah oh of course and anyway whatever like more movie musicals yes we'll take it we'll take it um what do you think I about okay I was gonna say about Diana like it hasn't even opened yet but they're gonna show it already so I am like all in favor of making these shows that are Broadway bound more accessible because Broadway has become so inaccessible in recent years in terms of the prices and everything else. Um, so I think that's fantastic. But, you know, the entire industry is going to have to do some shifting now, right? Because even with like in the Heights, um, a lot of people were sort of talking about how the film bombed at the box office. And I'm like, well, of course it did. It was released the same day on TV. On TV. And like, it's not an action movie or like some big special effects movie that you feel the need to go like see it on a huge screen. So why wouldn't you just stay home and watch it for far less money on your on the comfort of your own couch? So if they're going to keep doing that, then they're going to have to come up with another way to figure out like... So I am in favor of making these things more accessible. I am concerned that if you make them more accessible so that nobody pays to go see them at the, at the bigger venues, then like, are the movie theaters going to shut down or, you know, and I don't want to lose that. And I don't, so I'm a little bit nervous about that, but um, I also, when I read that they were making a musical about Princess Diana, was like, pass. <laughs> like, I wasn't, <laughs> I'm not sold on this. Not a fan? I will, well, I liked Princess Diana. Like, I had no issue with We just Diana. lost all our English fans. Way to go. <laughs> I mean, not that I ever had any problem with Princess Diana, but, like, I don't know why we're so obsessed with her life story. Like, 
Anyway. <laughs> um, but now that it's going to be on Netflix, I'll watch it on Netflix and maybe it'll change my mind and make me want to go buy a ticket and see it on stage. Hmm. Right? Maybe. We'll see. I mean, but I wasn't going to rush out and buy a ticket for it um, when it opened. And I think it's supposed to open in September or October, like like soon, like one of the first ones when they reopen. Interesting. Well, hopefully uh, Monday nights we'll go to show tunes, belt out some yeah, songs. For sure. Let's. They also, yeah, we have to make a date for show tunes. I thoroughly enjoy doing things like that as obnoxiously as possible. Come from Away is a cute show. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I, I saw the trailer and I've, I've heard about it. I remember hearing about it because it's like what they land in like Gander, Canada or something like that. I mean, I don't or like know Can- the name Can- of that weird Canada, Can- Canada, it's somewhere like, in Canada. It's not only in Canada. It's like in the middle of nowhere, Canada. Like it, it might even be like on its own island. Like it's some like, <laughs> really remote, inaccessible place and they get stuck there for like a week or something, maybe even longer before they can go they home. They become friends. Yeah, well, the t- because the town is like, well, you can all stay in our high school gym, but like at some point it just becomes untenable and people start inviting people into their homes and like all this stuff. So it's, it, it, it's a cute, it, it was a cute show. Um, I've seen it twice though. And I literally can't call from memory a single song. So <laughs> the book is not memorable. <laughs> um, but what yeah. about West Side Story? Yeah, so interestingly, as a person who loves musical in a, what is, a shocking uh, revelation for many. I fell asleep during West Side Story and have never actually seen the full thing. Uh, <laughs> you know how it ends? <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe this updated version will be better for me, but I have, and I don't know why, but I'm a little skeptical skeptical about Steven Spielberg doing West Side Story. Like, I don't, I don't know if an old white man should be doing West Side Story right now. I'm not sure, but... You know what? I will watch all of these things probably at least once. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> all right. Now that we have thoroughly analyzed my musical tastes, let's see what's up in sports. All right. Moving on to my sports topic. We're crossing the pond and headed to the All England Club for more shocking tennis news. Wimbledon is in full swing in London, and two tennis stars have decided to sit this one out. 35-year-old Rafael Nadal announced that he would not be playing in Wimbledon or the Tokyo Olympics. Nadal stated in an announcement that he needed more time to recover after the French Open, which was delayed due to COVID. Tennis stars had to make the quick change from playing on clay to grass in two weeks. The Spaniard won gold in the singles in 2008 Olympics and gold in doubles in 2016. And also Naomi Osaka announced she would also be withdrawing from Wimbledon to spend time with friends and family before the Olympics. Both tennis greats are looking at the long game of their careers and are focusing on themselves and their bodies. The blowback from American fans isn't that shocking, but is it time that we start focusing on listening to our bodies instead of what work demands? Now, Laura, I don't know if you're keeping up with the tennis world, but because of COVID, almost all the Grand Slams have been just completely thrown out of loop, and the players are kind of talking back or talking out a little bit more and saying, hey, we got to focus on ourselves. Like we've been out for a year and a half now. We can't be doing this. Um, so what do you think? So, yeah, I, you know, I was really sad yesterday. I I'm in Vegas in a casino and the sports book had like a big announcement about Naomi Osaka withdrawing from Wimbledon. And that made me sad um, just because I know that Naomi, Naomi Osaka has been struggling a little bit of late and, you know, it, so it just made me a little upset for her. I think, Tennis fucked up this year, honestly, the way that they tried to 
squeeze everything in. And it's no surprise that not every tennis star um, wants to do that to their body. And I don't think it's fair of anybody who is not them to blame them or have any negative uh, feelings about them. It's their body and they need to do what's right with their body. And it's all well and good for like me, who's a lawyer and sits on my ass all day in front of a computer to say, I can't, I have to do my job. Why can't they do their job? Well, my job is not being a fucking professional athlete at the height of my physical abilities and need to like be going to a trainer in between work, work sessions because of how much stress and strain I put on my body. So it's like these people who are making those comparisons are not, um, they, they have no standing. They have no idea what they're talking about. And they're comparing apples to cucumbers. Like it's not even, <laughs> right? like, it's just ridiculous. So listen, if Rafi doesn't want to play in Wimbledon, and if Naomi Osaka is not ready to play in Wimbledon, I respect their choices. Of course, it makes me a little bummed out because Wimbledon will be less for not having them. I mean, they're two of the top tennis players in the world right now, and the tournament would be better if we got to see them play. But Wimbledon should have thought of that when they scheduled their tournament so close. Two weeks after the French Open. It's crazy. Like, doesn't make any sense. Like, I get what happened. Like, everything got canceled last year. The Olympics are stuck in the summer this year. They're trying to cram everything in. All well and good. Everybody wants to make their money. Everybody wants to open their box office. But okay at the expense of what you know injuries and ruining people's careers absolutely not so more power to the people who are standing up for themselves boo hiss and who gives a shit about the people who are claiming that because they go to their job as a stockbroker naomi osaka needs to play more tennis makes no sense but let's hope for um a more normal year in the next year and as we move further and further, hopefully, away from the impact of COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, Osaka is still super young, so she's got years of tennis. Um, Rafa, I don't know, because, you know, he's hitting 35, which is, like, old and ancient Ooh. in sports. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. He, lo- he looks pretty spry for 35, um, but I don't I, – I would be surprised if he was going to make it to another Olympics game. So I – was sort of surprised that he pulled out of the Olympics. Like I kind of thought it's not that surprising that if he would pull out of Wimbledon in the hopes of being ready for Tokyo. And I hadn't heard that he announced he pulled out of Tokyo, but that's what you said, right? Yeah. He pulled out of Tokyo, which, um, and then if he would have stayed in Wimbledon and won, he would have tied or surpassed the most uh, Grand Slam titles for men, I think. Yeah, but he's going to play more Grand Slams. I'm not sure he's he's going to be, but I'm not sure he's going to be around long enough to play another Olympics. So that part surprises me a little bit, but you know what? The man already has two Olympic medals. Does he need more? I don't know. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, like we sit here and we're like, oh, a chance to win the Olympic medal and you're not going to go, but it's like, we don't have two Olympic medals, so we don't know what that's like to make those choices. <laughs> you know, that might just not be as high of a priority for him anymore. And I, and we have to respect that. No. Yeah. And especially cause he, he wants his like career to keep going. If you know, yeah. One injury from trying to do three tournaments back to back to back. And then what do you do? Nothing. I mean, then that's it. Right. So um, yeah. I mean, I, again, just these, everybody, makes 
everybody has to make their own decisions about their own physical health and their own bodies. And none of us have the right to criticize them for doing, for prioritizing their health and safety um, over the desires of others. Um, even if, you know, we are fanatics who spend money to see them do what they want to do, that doesn't mean that we own their entire life. Yep, totally agree. So yes, hooray for them both. Actually, you know, taking time for themselves. Don't worry, they'll be back and we'll be able to see them and enjoy them on the court. So, yay. All right, now for my topic at the intersection of sports and queer. Here's an update on two stories that we recently talked about this season. All right, first up, the Mexican soccer fans are still behaving badly. FIFA announced that the next two World Cup qualifying matches to be held at home in Mexico will not have fans allowed and fined the team about $65,000 in uh, American money. El Tri is scheduled to play against Jamaica on September 2nd and Canada on October 7th, and, but fans continue to use a homophobic chant, which was heard prominently during the CONCACAF Nations League finals where the U.S. men's team defeated Mexico. On June 3rd, referees stopped play against Costa Rica for three minutes and gave a warning to the fans that if they continued, the match would be suspended. The Mexican national team and Mexican Football Federation president, Yon de Luisa, are pleading with fans to stop using the chant and warn of possible sanctions, including disqualification for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar and losing the chance to host matches during the 2026 World Cup, which will be held in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. So, again, to all Selección fans, please get it together and don't blow this for the team. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, I watched the game in Denver, and I was like, could you <laughs> – it's not that hard. It's it keeps not getting worse. And I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel strongly about the Mexican uh, team's chances of hosting any world cup matches. I mean, they have a full year to get their shit together, but fans don't seem to be taking this seriously at all. Now I do think that maybe scheduling multiple matches where fans are not allowed to attend might be the thing that finally gets people to take it seriously and change the behaviors but can't help but think that what really needs to happen is somebody needs to think about how do we educate the mexican people about why they shouldn't want to use this chant like as opposed yeah. to trying to just penalize them based on a soccer carrot or stick you know like what really needs to happen is a change of societal attitude so that people understand why they shouldn't want, why they shouldn't be so excited about screaming this chant. Which um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be one of those, like, yes, yeah, it's a little societal shift where people have to realize, you know, what they're actually saying and doing. Cause people are like, Oh yeah, it's just a word. doesn't mean anything. It's like, no, it actually has some consequences. Like you, you all look like idiots from around the world. Cause now it's becoming a big like deal you know, all yeah. over the place, because anytime uh, the Selección plays at a country, they're like, okay, well, are we going to let like, your fans? <laughs> like, cringe. Like, I, you know, because I, if I understand correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I think it's like, it, it translates roughly to like calling somebody a girly boy, right? Which is like, it's women and homosexuals at the same time. Like, it's just yeah. so gross. It's like a... It's, and it's like something that is used in the context of really referring to your queer, like not just. It's it, it, there's yeah, it's like a it's weird. It's not just a, misogynistic. It's both a little bit misogynistic, but also a lot homophobic, really. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality. Like it's like all the people who still go to Florida state Seminoles games and do that horrible tomahawk crop. And you're like, try to tell them why it's ridiculous. And their answer is like, well, I'm from Florida and this is what we do. We've always done this. Yeah. It's like, um, okay. The fact that a bunch of people have always done a certain thing doesn't make it inherently okay. Right. Like you can learn a lesson too late and that doesn't, and you know, that doesn't mean you should keep doing it because you've been doing it wrong all this time. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, this comes up in a lot of different contexts, but I hope that I, and I know we talked about this like a few months ago, or maybe even almost a year ago where players like very popular players from the Mexican national team had started to record like PSAs basically to try to explain to people and convince people why they should stop doing this. And I think that's what has to really be focused on you know you need to start getting some influential people in society to start putting out informational videos or like whatever else to try to explain to people why this is so problematic and start changing some hearts and minds as they like to say yeah i mean the 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 team's trying and the uh the president of the of the federation is like okay enough is enough now it's getting serious because now fifa and i'm i'm actually for one time i'm glad that fifa is actually doing something because FIFA's crazy and corrupt-ish. But, uh, they've been trying to clean house in FIFA. We have to, you know, they're trying. They have. They've been doing a good yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, actually policing something like this and saying, like, hey, this is wrong. Yeah, we're going to fine you 60. Uh, it was a couple francs, like 60 francs or 60,000 francs, which is about $65,000, which is really not that much when you're talking about a huge sports team like this. But to take away two games with fans and you're finally saying, okay, look, you're getting the World Cup. We're going to take right. your teams away. And that is billions of dollars. In Well, but it's not just that, right? So this is what I think, too, is like, it seems to me that leadership in the Mexican national team and even like at least a good segment of the players have already sort of come around to the right stance on this and they're trying to do stuff so like finding them money it's like i'm not sure that's going to be effective anyway because it's the fans who you need to convince and the fans aren't necessarily going to care if their team gets fined like unless it's it's not really affecting them right unless it's such a dramatic thing that like the ticket prices become unreasonable or something else i don't like that doesn't necessarily directly impact the fans so if they they just don't show the games (laughs) i mean if they stop putting the games on tv people might start behaving right because they want to go to the games they want to (laughs) see the games i mean that's the thing like imagine i mean imagine the world cup comes and is hosted in north america and not a single game is played in mexico how bummed are you if you're a mexican soccer we're talking about this is like this is a soccer like crazy country like the last world cup in russia when mexico played against and beat germany the uh the the uh defending champions um there were so many fans jumping up and down in mexico city that they registered an earthquake (laughs) it was insane like that's how crazy soccer is to this country so it's like yes do better don't be stupid and don't ruin this for everyone absolutely <laughs> so hopefully yes hopefully mexican fans l3 fans will get together um i still haven't bought my jersey but i'm working on it because gold cup is starting soon in july and i'm very excited and the olympics so yes go three and yeah, yeah and why they the team is called the three is a mystery but the colors 
No, it's the colors of the uniform. How many countries of the world have three colors in their flag? All of them? Lots of them. (laughs) So, like, should we all be the three? It's it's dumb. Do better. You know what? All around, do better, Mexico. This reminds me, yesterday I stumbled upon my new favorite slot machine, um, and I don't speak Spanish, as you know, but I believe that the name of it translated to the Devil's Lottery, because it was like El Loteria Diablo or something. (laughs) Oh, no. And the pictures were amazing. It was like, one was like a heart with a dagger through it, and one was like a devil who looked like he was like naked except for a pair of sexy boxer briefs <laughs> and then there were like skulls and skeletons it, it was great i loved it i played it for a while i actually won some did I, you win i did i hit one 250 dollars jackpot on that machine <laughs> oh so you're buying drinks when you come back uh i mean i then promptly <laughs> in other machines don't get me wrong but <laughs> but I, I will absolutely buy you a drink but i just want you to know that i found my new favorite slot machine and i'm pretty sure it's mexican for the devil's lottery <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right real quick in more positive news secretary of education miguel cardona announced that transgender student athletes are protected by title nine while attending public school Secretary Cardona referenced a SCOTUS decision that LGBTQ plus workers fall under the protection of the Civil Rights Act. Many different agencies have cited this decision in their guidelines, including HHS and HUD. This guidance indicates that any anti-trans discrimination will be investigated by the Office of Civil Rights. So all I have to say is way to go, Secretary Cardona. Thank you for reversing some of the Trump era guidelines. Uh, Laura, what do you think? Yeah, I mean- Positive steps? going forward well so it's definitely the right step um it is the law of the land according to the supreme court of the united states that you know these anti-discrimination acts apply to gender and sexual orientation gender identity um so it is the law so of course every agency's guidance should should include uh that law now do i think that this guidance is going to necessarily have any immediate impact on school districts that are doing it differently no because they will just ignore the guidance um but what's really i think important about this is that it will strengthen legal cases if students are unfortunately in a school district that ignores the law and continues to discriminate against them, it will make their legal path a little bit easier and their arguments a little bit stronger um, as they pursue um, their rights. And eventually, um, when you go through enough procedural hurdles and stuff, it could start to impact um, funding for these schools, federal funding, because if you're violating you know, the anti-discrimination laws, you can lose your federal funding, which ultimately would, I think, start to force some of these school districts to behave properly. Um, Unfortunately, the guidance itself is not going to be enough, I don't think, to have an immediate impact. If there's a school district in Texas who discriminates and they've been ignoring the Supreme Court decision for the last year, they're not going to suddenly change just because of an HHS or an education department guidance. It's just, unfortunately, that's just not the case. But this is absolutely the right move, and it eventually could lead to some actual concrete positive steps. And in the meantime, I hope that at the very least, um, it helps trans kids and trans students um, and queer students feel a little bit more seen 
um, and accepted by society at large. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, this is just, uh, it's, it's a little stepping stone. Uh, to me, it's just another way that the, the Biden administration is kind of affirming that, you know, they've got LGBTQ plus students and individuals like at the forefront. And they're actually trying to do things in a positive light to take care of, you know, uh, trans kids and LGBT, LGBTQ plus kids and everyone. Um, and just saying, no, you know, we, we've heard what's going on. We saw what happened in the past four years and we're going to try to fix it. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you to Secretary Cardona. Thank you to President Biden. Thank you to all the people who are doing everything that they can to move us forward in uh, our continuing struggle to achieve civil rights in this country. Um, and, you know, call your senator and tell him to abolish the filibuster. <laughs> all right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll share our interview with Team DC member club Stonewall Pitfall. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Today we have CC Green from Stonewall Kickball. Hey, CC, thank you for uh, agreeing to be interviewed today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Awesome. So can, can you tell us a little bit about Stonewall Kickball? What exactly is uh, Stonewall Kickball? Yeah, sure. Um, Stonewall Kickball is an LGBTQ and ally community-based nonprofit sports league that strives to raise funds for local nonprofit organizations. Our league values each player for who they are and what they bring to the league's community. And our mission is to provide an inclusive, low-cost, high, fun kickball league that is managed as a nonprofit with a philanthropic heart, which is basically a fancy way to say that we play kickball and we raise lots of money. <laughs> awesome. So tell me how the charity or nonprofit portion of Stonewall works. Um, so it works in sort of two bands. Um, the first band is each team is responsible for holding a fundraising event at some point during each season. Um, the fundraising events range from um, events that people will host at one of our sponsor bars, um, and maybe they will sell something at the sponsor bar or um, give a portion of the funds, the funds that they raise from the bar that night to the charity of their choice. Um, some teams also put on larger events. We have a team that does a huge event every year called Cornhole for a Cause. Lots and lots of folks show up for that and they raise tons of money. Um, my own team with our sister team, um, Hot Mess Kickers, puts on a really cute event called the Lip Sync Battle, where we invite um, folks to come out and sort of go head to head in these one-on-one -on -one lip sync battles. It's a really fun event. How do you join a team? How can someone get involved? Um, so it all starts with around recruitment, about a month, maybe a month and a half before the, process, the re recruitment process begins. We have recruitment events um, where we will have the team captains show up and talk about their team. And we'll have members of the board show up and talk about the league in general. Um, lots of disseminating ish, um, information through Facebook, lots of disseminating information through Instagram. Um, and we just try to talk to people and see what they're interested in, connect them with other team captains. Um, and we go from there. We, um, you can find us on Facebook, definitely Stonewall Kickball DC. You can also find us on Instagram, Stonewall Kickball DC, and our website, skdc.info, um, to keep up to date on the most um, current recruitment info. Cool. So how, how big are the individual teams? Um, the teams range um from about 20 to i i can i couldn't even tell you what our largest team looks like maybe closer close to 30 
Okay. So if you were a new player and you didn't have a, you know, didn't know a team, you mm-hmm. could find a space, a space on one of the teams that wasn't full, right? Yes. The great thing is that um, the, the, the league itself is split up into conferences and those conferences are divided um, by level of competitiveness. So there is sort of space for everyone to find their individual groove. Um, and in that we also have um like I said, we have various recruitment events for people to come out and connect, talk directly one-on-one with captains. So captains can say, this is what my team is about. This is our level of competitiveness. This is what we strive to do. Um, we also have the free agent process for um, folks who are, who, are, who, are down for, who are down for whatever. Put, put me in there. Um, so we have okay. that process too for people that are, that are just ready to join. How does somebody sign up for the free agent process? Um, when you sign up, you um, that is one of the drop down boxes that you select. So if you're already associated with the team, you would sign up as a team. If you're not associated with a team, you would sign up as a free agent. And then, like I said, um, either go around looking for a team and decide where you want to get placed or um, let the cards fall. <laughs> All right. And then just if um, if a group of friends together wanted to start a whole new team, is that something they could also do? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, We've seen something similar to that um, with what we call a free agent team um, with just a, a bunch of folks who got together as free agents and decided um, that they would stay together um, and just play together. And that has even graduated into, into um, regular team status, teams that have stayed around for multiple seasons that started as a free agent team. Cool. Cool. So how did you get involved with Stonewall Kickball? I got involved when I moved here from L.A. Um, in 2014. I spent um, a good seven months wandering around the city and wandering into local bars and trying to make friends. And that did not work. <laughs> um, so one of my friends who was involved in Stonewall told me that I should try it out and told me that they have met lifelong friends and that it's a really great thing. And so I signed up um, and all of it wound up being true. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kickball like I remember from grade school give, give me a summary basic summary of the rules of kickball so the way that I like to put it is that it's baseball except it's not with the bat and that tiny little ball but the, the rules are basically the same as that you have um, one team that is going to play in the outfield you've got your first base person second base person third base person you've got your pitcher you've got your catcher you've got your folks in the outfield then you got your team that's going to kick. Um, someone's going to step up to the plate, sort of your traditional three strikes, four fouls rule. Um, and Are so strikes a thing that happen in kickball. Yes. And that's, that's exactly what I was going to get to. And so it is sort of the game that you think you remember. But then there are all of these other things that are thrown in there, like strikes and fouls. And then I'll never forget my first game. I stepped up to the plate and I saw somebody bunt. And I was like, what? I would think that in a game of kickball, you just want to get up there and you want to kick the ball as far as you can. But that turned out to not be the case. And there's a little (laughs) bit more strategy involved when you're playing with adults. So it is the game that you can love, but a little bit different. All right. That's good to know. Okay, so Team DC, we focus here a lot on inclusivity and the promotion of sports in the LGBT community. Do you have any thoughts on why inclusivity is important to you or to Stonewall Kickball as an organization? Um, Yes, I um, actually currently serve on the board as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So Stonewall is is definitely doing its due diligence to make sure that um, equity, inclusion, and diversity are things that we center within the organization. Um, 
on a personal note, um, the community is is so diverse, and we have so many talents and so much um, potential. And it's just a beautiful thing to see us all in one space, sharing those talents and sharing those opportunities, but also making sure that as we share that space, there is equity and room for a variety of its, of experiences and not just sort of one type of experience. Great. Um, what would you say is um, the gender diversity level of Stonewall Kickball? So um, I will say that we are right now um, a vast majority um, man identified group um, with about 96% of our members identifying as men. But again, this is definitely something that we are working on. Um, definitely why um, I myself, just as a trans non-binary person, wanted to step into the diversity, equity, and inclusion role um, to just find out different ways to engage um, gender, engage with gender diversity within the community to figure out how we get more folks um, into the community, to figure out how we hold on to the folks that we have in the community. Um, one of the things that I'm even doing right now within my role is um, on the Instagram page, I'm doing this Women of Stonewall series where each week I feature a different woman in the organization and she talks about what it means to be in the organization, what it means to be in the organization as a woman. Um, so just, again, doing that due diligence of making sure that we are centering diversity, equity, and inclusion. Fantastic. So Stonewall started in DC, but I also am noticing that there's different leagues all over the country, different uh, sister organizations. So how is that um, working with all people from all over the country? Um, you know, yes, the, it, it almost seems like every time I look up, there's, there's a new city. But yes, we did start in DC um, and just, you know, have, have spread out through there. Um, we have once a year, we have the National Summit and Tournament, which is an opportunity for all of the Stonewall cities to come together and play um, in a national tournament. We also have the summit that same weekend where we get to talk about just a lot of the, um, the things that impact our communities like um, gender and equity, gender diversity, equity. Um, and so just having, making sure we have those conversations while at the same time having some fun and getting to connect and meet new people. I went to the tournament for the first time this past summer. It was it was so much fun. Do you have any personal stories, experiences you uh, can share about why Stonewall kickball is important to you or has had an impact on your life? I do. Um, Stonewall is the community that showed me that it was okay to be me. Um, because the community is so full of support and so full of affirming folks, I've been able to make connections um, that will last a lifetime. I've been able to make friends that will last a lifetime. Um, and most specifically, when I decided to come out as trans non-binary, um, the Stonewall community was the group of people that not only embraced me with open arms, but they affirmed my identity in ways that I never thought were imaginable in ways that I still find amazing and incredible. Um, and it is through this amazing community of people that I find the strength to be able to be myself, the strength to be able to identify the way that I want to identify. Uh, so when y'all aren't playing kickball, what other social activities or what else goes on throughout the year that uh, people can get excited about? Um, we, like I said, every team definitely has to put on their fundraiser. And so teams put a lot of individual time into planning their different fundraisers. Teams also, um, 
do volunteer service events throughout the year. Sometimes they'll work with other teams. Sometimes they'll be just like a stonewall volunteer opportunity where different um, people from different teams will come and represent. We have um, division dinners um, where um, the division lead will host a dinner at one of our sponsor restaurants. And it's just an opportunity for different people across the divisions, maybe new players, maybe players that have been around for a little while, just an opportunity for them to connect. Um, and then probably the biggest one is um, teams connect on individual basis through the use of social chairs, most likely um, to arrange mixers and parties. They're usually themed, um, they're usually costumed, um, and they're usually <laughs> over the top. Um, definitely a, a favorite of um, everybody that participates in the league. <laughs> All right, good times. Um, so it's 2021, and um, you know, obviously, we've made a lot of progress as a community. Do you think um, that it's still important to have LGBTQ plus focused sports clubs? And if so, why? Yes, 100% for two reasons. Um, the first reason is because like you said, we've made a lot of progress, but progress never means that it's time to stop. Progress just means that, okay, we've done that. What's the next thing that we have to do? And the only way that we continue to move through that progress is through unity. And that's what I see sports clubs creating at their core. They're creating unity. They're creating more opportunities for us to connect with one another. And they are creating community. The second reason that they are important is because while these sports clubs are doing a great job of creating community, there are some things in the community that we are still dealing with. For example, gender diversity, right? making sure that we are respectful um, of the identity of our trans brothers and sisters of our non-binary folks within our community. Um, definitely racism within the gay community. These are still issues that we are still unpacking and putting us all together um, in spaces where we get to play kickball, in spaces where we get to have fun, but in spaces where we also get to unpack some of these very complicated issues is, is vital to the success of our community. So for those two reasons, I think that sports clubs definitely are still important. Do you know, obviously we are still in the lingering midst of the COVID pandemic. Does Stonewall have a sense of when they expect to have their next season? Um, we are keeping our ear close to the ground, staying updated on things. Um, we recently made the announcement um, that we would not be returning to play for what would have been our spring season. Um, but you know the news is changing every day numbers are changing every day so i'm sure that the board um plans to meet very soon to talk about what it looks like for us to move forward great well cc i am very grateful that we got an opportunity to talk with you today and to hear a little bit more about stonewall um before we let you go just one more time, I want you to shout out the, your website, your social media handles, any other information that you think people need if they want to find, find out more about you. Yes, of course. Um, the most up-to-date information is going to be on our website, skdc.info. Once again, that's skdc.info. You can also find us on both Facebook and Instagram, Stonewall Kickball DC. Great. Well, thanks again, Cece. I hope we get to talk again. Thank you so much. Yes, it would be lovely to talk again. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. 
For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members, Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.